This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Saucy. If you were my last ad for Saucy, I sing my now instant classic parody song, Because I'm Saucy, a parody of Happy by Pharrell. Well, the people at Saucy loved it, and they've asked me to do another, but I couldn't think of another parody song with Saucy specifics, so I'm going to read the Saucy ad and then finish with a parody song. So, Saucy is beer, wine, and spirits ordered online and delivered directly to the door. Parody song coming soon. Stay in and order a drink from 10,000 plus different products and get alcohol delivered in 30 minutes with no delivery fee. We're now very close to a parody song. You can schedule alcohol delivery when it's best for you, plus get snacks, mixers, and more, all available within an hour. Okay. Here is Weird Al Johnson's I'm Like Joe Dirt, a parody of I'm Like a Bird. I'm Like Joe Dirt, not available on Blu-ray. But I'm in a red box or a discount DVD bin. Thank you. To get alcohol delivered to your door and to save 10% on your order, go to boardwalkaudio.com slash saucy. That's boardwalkaudio.com forward slash saucy. S-A-U-C-E-Y. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. You can click the support our artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and I get a little kickback. This week's guest is Evan Waite, a writer from The Onion, The President Show, and currently at Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He's a cool guy who got involved in comedy in an interesting way, so I think you'll like this episode. Check out past episodes with Mitra Juhari, Emmy Blotnick, Noah Garfinkel, and John Reynolds from The President Show, or Sam West, Scott Sherman, and Matt Kleinman from The Onion. So here is Evan Waite. All right, Evan, thanks for coming to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? I am from Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I went to, I lived in Pennsylvania, and I went to school in uh, New Jersey, so I'm a tri-state area guy. Okay, cool. Did you do, uh, did you like comedy growing up? I did, yeah, I was, I was very much into it. Um, I didn't really know that you could make a living doing it, but I knew that I was into it, mm-hmm. I was definitely drawn to that. What kind of uh, stuff did you like to watch? Uh... I mean, I was I was a Simpsons fan, of yeah. course. Uh, Seinfeld, uh, Martin was always in my house a lot. Um, yeah, just I don't know the same stuff everybody else my age yeah. was watching, basically. Were you Were you doing like any like comedy stuff like growing up, like any like performance stuff or anything? No, no, I I never really performed, honestly. Yeah, I've done a couple of humor readings where I'll read a piece that I've written, but that's about the extent of it. Uh, it was nothing I ever really wanted to do, and I still don't. Yeah. <laughs> but, were, were you into like writing back then? Uh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't. This wasn't comedy. wasn't a thing that I yeah. that I uh, had started when I was a kid or anything. It was uh, no, I wasn't really doing that much of that until college. Actually, mm-hmm. where did you go to college? I went to the College of New Jersey, uh-huh. which is formerly Trenton State. And and uh, would you? What was your major there? I was a communications major. Okay, actually. cool. Yeah. I was uh, sort of interested in radio and TV stuff, but I didn't totally know yeah. what that would be. I just knew that uh, that was the thing that seemed the most interesting to me. Uh-huh. 
And, and were you doing any comedy writing then? Uh, well, the first comedy writing I actually ever did was uh, me and a friend of mine who I met at college uh, started doing like a cartoon together. Oh, cool. And we would submit that in the paper every week. And, uh, you know, it got some minor success there and uh, we seemed to enjoy doing it. So it was, it was like a it was like a political cartoon for your college? It wasn't political, though. Oh, it was it just was a cartoon? Yeah. Just really stupid college kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, we had a lot of fun doing it and it quickly became the thing I was most interested in doing at college and the rest was sort of background. Right. So that was a, a tip that I was in the right direction. Was it like a, like a narrative cartoon or was it like something different every week? Um, no, it was just one off stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was no, there was no through line whatsoever. Do you, do you remember like, uh, what's your favorite one of those? Hmm. <laughs> you know, I... It's hard to describe them, and they'll sound really dumb, actually. <laughs> but, I mean, it was sort of like, I guess, sort of like the far side in the sense that, like, it was a new setup every time. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, because I never really thought narratively that was never the way I sort of processed stuff. Mm-hmm. Did you did you draw them yourself or someone else draw them? Well, I would actually just doodle them, yeah. like, with really bad stick figures and, you know, dialogue bubbles that looked like a child had written them. Uh, and then my friend would draw them. So, uh, yeah, we were actually, we, uh, were working together at one point and so we were like working at a help desk together and we were like, answering phones and talking to students who would come up and have a problem. So, uh, we just had a lot of time on our hands. So I would just like doodle something I'd slide it over to him and he would, he would do his thing and, uh, it was pretty informal. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. I had a great time doing it. Yeah. So after college, uh, what'd you do? Well, uh, what happened was me and my friend, you know, were doing this cartoon and he seemed actually like I was more into it than he was, I think, ultimately, where I was really like going pretty hard at it. And uh, after college, like he wanted to do other stuff, which is totally reasonable. So um, I didn't really know what to do. Honestly, I was sort of adrift because I didn't know that you could do it yourself and how how you would transition over to that. Uh, So I studied. uh, I went back to get my master's degree in elementary education and uh, then I became a teacher and so I worked in New Jersey for a couple of years uh, just teaching ESL to uh, to elementary school kids and then ultimately I uh, took a job in China as a ESL teacher and I worked there for a couple of years oh wow what was teaching in China like ah it was weird yeah (laughs) yeah I mean it was you know, every emotion you could have just heightened. It's, you know, it was really fun, really infuriating, really weird and interesting. And yeah, it was, it was really something. What, uh, what, what, what city were you in? Well, the first city I lived in was called Dalian, which okay. is on uh, Northeast, uh, China, mm-hmm. not too far from like the North Korean border. Mm-hmm. And then I was there for two years and then I moved down to a different job in Shenzhen, which okay. is like, uh, you know, on the southeast coast near Hong Kong. Right. Okay. Yeah, I went to. I've been to China twice, like okay. on trips and stuff. So I know a little bit. Yeah. I took Chinese in uh in middle school and high school. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I've proceeded to forget all of it. So yeah, I'm in the process of forgetting it right now. Yeah. I I've been in. Um, I came back to America in 2011. So uh, yeah, I haven't really used it too much. Yeah. Unfortunately, I spent a lot of time learning it at the, you know when I was there. So did you know Chinese before going? Uh, I took a um, I took a uh, community college class after mm-hmm. I knew I had gotten the job, but before I had left. So yeah, I had like one semester's worth of right. you know. So I knew like the basics. I could do food and numbers, and but the rest, you know, I just had to learn when I got there. Mm-hmm. 
Wow, that's so interesting. Did you uh, have you found that? I don't know. Like people say, like writers and comedians need to have like these experiences and stuff. Did you mm-hmm. find that to be a very formative thing for you? I, I do believe it was helpful. Yeah. yeah, because you know when you go to some place that's so different from the one you're in, it, you can't help but see things differently. And and I think that's a lot of what comedy is about is just seeing things in a skewed way. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're forced to do that for a long period of time. So mm-hmm. I think that's helpful. Would you Would you recommend to people to go to teach in China? Yeah, I mean, I think it it will not be boring. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I would uh, definitely recommend getting out of the country. Like, it doesn't have to be China, but right. just going somewhere else is is always a good thing. And so, uh, when you come back, are you going back to teaching elementary school? Uh, no, actually, what happened was I was in China and I was trying to f- sort of formulate my next move, and uh, I decided that uh, you know I wanted to go back and try to get into the comedy comedy game. And specifically the onion, because I've loved the onion for you know as long as I can remember. So I started just writing a bunch of headlines uh, when I was in China and trying to figure out how I might be able to get in there when I got back to the states. So you know I was reaching out on Facebook and and trying to get in touch with people. And through a number of crazy circumstances, I got in touch with one of their features editors, uh, this guy named Joe Garden. Who uh, he saw some of my headlines and he liked some of these and he offered me a tryout when I got back to the states. That's awesome. Yeah, so I mean, it was only just a few weeks yeah. after I got back in the states. I'm you know in the office over there talking to them and uh, trying to you know pass this audition that they have. Mm-hmm. Did you did you find being in China kind of? You mentioned like you know comedy's about skewing your perspective, but did you find that being in China and being kind of away from like. I guess the Onion is like an American newspaper, an mm-hmm. American thing. Did you find that kind of changing your perspective in a way that didn't fit the Onion? Maybe. Um, no, I wouldn't say yeah. so. I mean, there were definitely things you know that I just wouldn't pitch to them because it doesn't seem like it would fit what they're right. doing. But uh, I would say it was only a positive, mm-hmm. honestly. And and so, what was that audition process like? Uh, well, at the time, you had to um, pitch headlines for four weeks. Essentially, you will write up a list of 15 or 20 headlines, and then you send them to uh, you know the editors there, and they take it in the room, and, and they read it out. And if you get uh, headlines picked and they run them, then you'll get to stay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically the test is, like, can you do it? Mm-hmm. Can you get on the board? And were you in Chicago during this time? Well, this was uh, actually at when The Onion was still oh, in right, New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They moved, I think, about a year after I had started. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so were, were you uh, a staff writer or a contributor? At the end? Uh, well, I was a contributor. Okay, actually, uh, yeah. Basically, you kind of work your way up. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No <laughs> yeah, you basically, you know, everybody starts at the bottom essentially. Uh, you, you know, you're just pitching headlines, mm-hmm. and you know, over time, if you do well, then your role will start to grow there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what happened with me. And what was your process for coming up with headlines like? Uh, sometimes I would just walk around. You yeah. know, it's, it's not that exciting, really. <laughs> just you know, you just try to get yourself out of your space, and you know, something with some stimulus is nice. Where if you're you know walking around or you're on the subway, you're seeing things, and it starts to spark ideas. Um, so that's generally how I would do it. And sometimes I would just carry around a notebook and try to leave my phone at home and mm-hmm. just block that out. But 
you know, sometimes because of the time constraints, you just don't, you know, you have to crank something out really quickly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you know, you don't always have the time to put into it that you'd like. Mm-hmm. And do you find um, that kind of process of kind of like, I guess, putting your phone away? Do you still do that a lot when you're writing? Mm, maybe not as much as I should. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> it's it's a distraction. And yeah. I think it's because, you know, writing is hard and sometimes you're looking for any reason not to do it. Right. And a phone is a very convenient way to not do that. Right. But do you and do you also like uh, go for like walks to get like ideas? Yeah, yeah, I try to. I, uh-huh. I just try to just change it up sometimes. You know, if you're staying in your home a lot and then you know maybe it's not yielding very good material, maybe you go outside for a little while. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, whatever it is that gives you the good material, just like keep doing that. Yeah. So, what what are the hallmarks of a good onion headline to you? Uh First of all, it has to be concise. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the biggest problems uh, or one of the biggest mistakes I made early on is that, uh, you know, I would have an idea that I think was pretty good, but it would just be like five or six words longer than it needs to be. And I mean, the onion is like ruthless about just tr- like trim it down to the bone. And so I would say that's one of the biggest uh, mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. That I find. Uh, and you also contributed at ClickHole, right? I did. So what, how is that different from the onion? <laughs> Clickhole is just weirder. Yeah. I mean, I think the onion, there's more of a template because it's been around for so long and you sort of know what it is, whereas Clickhole is always just like morphing into this, you know, like what it was six months ago isn't what it is now. And, right. Um, so it's a little harder to evaluate if it's a good headline or not. Like the line between a good Clickhole headline and just some gibberish that's just completely stupid right. is, is very thin. Um, so yeah, I mean, I found that, uh, even, you know, I took a break from doing it for a while and then I tried to come back for a little, for a little bit and I was like, I don't even know what this is anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird and very interesting thing. They, they do like the, um, like weird narratives on the, on the site. Like they did like the Patriot hole for a while. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting, uh, site in general. Yeah, I think they have a really good uh, template there that can change. You know, they can turn it into whatever the internet is at that moment. So if some new trend pops up with the internet, they can just trail that and then mm-hmm. just skew it. So mm-hmm. it's great. Would Would you say your writing is generally leans towards satire? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess that's because that's how I started. So yeah. that's sort of the lens I see it through. Because mm-hmm. um, the Onion is, you know, it's, a, it's just a great satire site, and and that's sort of how I see things, but, you know, I'm trying to open that up a little bit as, as my, uh, as my job changes. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite headline from your Onion Times? Hmm. Let's see. Uh, well, the one that was probably the, by far the most successful was this one about Eminem where he, um, is concerned that his daughter is dating somebody who likes his music (laughs) and that one kind of blew up. So that was cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there was another one uh, about like a turtle who was facing extinction. He fucks his way back to like oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, being uh, <laughs> you know, uh, back to having you know, yeah, no, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are always the the fun onion headlines where it's like they're taking like a news trope and then just like just switching it. You know, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like I don't know. It's like a different. It's a certain type of onion headline where it's like. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but I, I always think those are really funny. Yeah, sometimes it's really just a matter of changing one word into something else, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the headline is completely the same, and it would be straight, and it just turns it into a completely right. different, uh, interesting thing you can delve mm-hmm. into. Uh, and you've also done some prose writing for like Mad Magazine and The New Yorker. How mm-hmm. did that get started? Well, I would say really everything started with The Onion. Mm-hmm. Um, 
on, uh, you know, when they were back in New York, they used to have this party called Whiskey Friday um, at their offices every week. And uh, you would just meet interesting people that were doing cool stuff. And uh, I was at a party where I met the uh, one of the illustrators from Mad Magazine. And he said, hey, you know, if you ever wanted to pitch something to them, then, you know, just just uh, send it my way and we can do that. And so I just took him up on that. And uh, so it was a very in- informal uh, yeah. kind of a thing. So what's your approach for those ideas? Like, do you have an idea... Uh, and then think of the best vehicle for it, or is it like, uh, does it work differently than that? Uh, I mean, sometimes it's like you have an idea for one thing and it gets rejected for that thing, and you're like, well, this is still a good idea. I should do something with this. Mm-hmm. And then you try to find a place to put it. So I find that generally I like to just sort of write ideas and then see where they fit as opposed to like pre, you know, setting them up for a specific place. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, when I started, at um, the Onion, that was the only thing I was doing, so I was doing, I was targeting that. But um, yeah, I, I think you get better comedy if you just write the thing that's funny, and then you try to figure out where you can where you can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what do you think works like best for like a Mad Magazine? Well, see, the thing about Mad Magazine is I never really read it as a kid, mm-hmm. um, so I didn't really have that sort of sensibility imprinted on my brain like most uh, Mad Magazine people do. So I really had to learn how that actually worked in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. um, I was sometimes I was pitching things that they'd already done. It was like, yeah, we did that like 20 years ago. You know, it's nothing interesting about that. Um, but and also like the kind of sensibility of what they do in terms of, you know, this is a magazine that's uh, has a childlike sensibility. You know, like sometimes I'd write something that was like from the adult's perspective. Mm. And they're like, well, that's not, you know, the, the perspective is like the kid who's getting sort of bombarded by adults who don't know what they're talking about, as opposed to the opposite way. Um, so it was just a matter of really learning the voice of what they do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think I've been able to sort of figure out uh, how to adapt into different things. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, how do you, I mean, what, what would you say would describe that process of adapting the different things? Well, I would say part of it is really delving into um, whatever publication you're trying to get into. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, if you're trying to pitch to The Onion, you need to really be reading it a lot. Right. Like, so you can understand the nuances of it. Because I think sometimes people skim the top of it, and then it's like, oh, this doesn't feel that fresh, mm-hmm. you know? The crazy thing about social media now is that um, I feel like The Onion and ClickHole, a lot of people just share the articles based off the headlines and don't yes. actually read them. Which is like such a bummer because there's so yeah. much comedy in the in the actual body of the article. Oh yeah, and, and the amount of work that goes into putting one of those articles together is enormous. Yeah, I mean, people, it's a very collaborative process. Everybody who's there has their hands on it, and um, you know they're very very particular about it. It's it's not slapped together, so mm-hmm. it is kind of a bummer that people aren't looking at it. But you know, it is the headline first. I mean, that's the way they that's the way they evaluate whether they want to do it or not. So mm-hmm. yeah. And that even, that kind of hurt, I mean, going back to that, that kind of hurts it, because that's like, the headline is like the whole joke in yeah. many respects, so. Yeah, I mean, after the headline, it's really just sort of like playing out the beats of where the joke could go and escalation mm-hmm. and everything, but, uh, you know, you get the joke with the yeah. headline, I understand that. There's that one Onion article that's, uh, like, in the middle, it changes mm-hmm. to like, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like... I forget what it is. It's very, it's kind of like a, you know, just like a slice of life article or a slice of life joke. And then it turns into like, Sandra, we have to talk or something like that in the middle. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think every once in a while they like to do that and um, just yeah. to switch things up and keep it interesting for them, too. Yeah. I just remembered that. I don't know why I just remembered that, but it was an interesting <laughs> article. Um, and so you've also uh, done stuff for The New Yorker. Uh, what mm-hmm. kind of ideas work best for The New Yorker? Um, I think with The New Yorker, like, you have a little more leeway where you don't have to have, like, the joke the hitting, like, a hard-hitting joke, like, in the headline the way the, you have to do for The Onion. I think uh, New York will sort of allow you to sort of, like, build it as opposed to The Onion that's, like, hits you like, the, like a sledgehammer up front. Um, I don't know. I mean... It's hard to say. I, I Again, I just write the piece. Usually, sometimes I'll write with my friend uh, River, who we've done some pieces together. And mm-hmm. we just try to write something funny, and then we figure out where it goes. Um, but, you know, you have to figure out about the length. You know, that's an issue for the New Yorker. It needs to be, you know, such and such to uh, such and such uh, numbers of words. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It's. I wish I had a better answer. Yeah. I, I don't even know myself, honestly. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you work on these... Uh, like pro stuff during while you're working other jobs or is it always always like between jobs you're doing that um i have done it during jobs yeah. it's not the greatest thing because i find it a little hard to like really have deep focus when you're sort of pretending that you're at a different job doing something um but sometimes you don't have any other time to do it mm-hmm. i mean i understand that, especially early on like when i first started uh, I was still teaching when I got to New York, and so I was trying to just fit it in where I could. Mm-hmm. So. How, how would you balance that? I mean, a lot of times what I found to be better is you just sort of write the idea uh, while you're at work, and then you elaborate on it later when you have mm-hmm. some time. Because like, it sort of marinates in your brain a little bit, and then when you come home later, then you have some thoughts about it, and you can kind of vomit that onto the page. Mm-hmm. I find that part of it hard to do when I'm at work. Right. What's it like uh, between jobs, like trying to find the next gig? Uh, it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of packets. and uh-huh. Yeah, it's a, it's a drag, actually. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully you're getting better at the packets. I mean, I've mm-hmm. done, I don't know, probably at least like 30 packets for shows. And I feel like I got better by the end of it than I when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to be meeting people and, and, and discussing uh, what's going on and what did you hear and all that. Which takes effort. Yeah. But if you don't do it, you're going to miss things that, you know, you could have gotten. Yeah. I guess like that's like a, a networking side of things, I guess. It is. Yeah. Which I mean. Support, it sucks. <laughs> it, it's not fun. But yeah. um, but also I think there's a way to do it so it doesn't seem like cynical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if you just, because these are interesting people that I want to meet. You know, I, I, uh, I've done this thing a, a couple of times where we'll do this, like a comedy writer's party. And I'll just like invite different writers from different uh, shows and, and publications in the city. And these are people I genuinely want to meet. So it's not like uh, some kind of a drag to talk right. to them or anything. I mean, they're really interesting and they're doing cool stuff that I'd like to be doing. And, um, you know, and you do it in the spirit of just like talking and hanging out, not like, you know, not some kind of a trap where they, they come and then you like spring that you want a job from mm-hmm. them or anything. Yeah. Like that's, that's weird, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just like hanging out and, you know, things just organically kind of happen. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's good for other people too, because like they all just like a big web. Everybody meets everybody else, and like who knows what comes of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, just keeps it interesting, I guess. And uh, when you get like a, a packet submission, what's your, like your approach for submitting it? I mean, I generally try to use all the time that I have. I know sometimes people will like wait until the last minute and then just like try to crank it out. And you know, some people can thrive in that, but I I like to like over prepare. I guess was mm-hmm. my strategy. 
is, uh, you know, if you write like four times as much as you need, like then you can pick the best of the best right. and Packet will really shine. Um, and that's, you know, I think that a lot of that is from the onion approach too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the way the onion works is you, for every headline that's picked, there's probably like a hundred or, or even more that, uh, you know, just didn't make the cut. So it's a volume business. Mm-hmm. What are some uh, pitfalls in doing packets that you've figured out over the 30 or so packets you've done? Um, I think sometimes, you know, they will put together some specs about exactly what they want. Mm. But I don't always, like, go exactly by that. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to gauge it by the show. There's certain shows where, like, if you do anything, if you deviate from that, it's, like, it's disrespectful. But there's others where it's like, look, if you're giving them like a couple more bits that are really funny, like nobody's going to be angry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you want to make sure to keep the quality control there. But um, you st- I don't take that as gospel personally. Right. But other people might approach that differently. I don't know. Uh-huh. Do, how do you, uh, for a packet, how do you balance like doing your voice versus the show's voice and kind of mixing them together? Um. I think it's a matter of really just writing your voice and then just trimming away everything that doesn't fit after the mm-hmm. fact. Um, you know, you, you, you might write an amazing joke, but you're like, well, I can't really see the host ever saying that. Mm-hmm. So then you just have to cut it, even if it's a great joke. But um, I think start with your pure voice and then you sort of tinker from That's there. interesting, yeah. Uh, and so you wrote on the, the Kevin Hart History Channel special. I did. How did, I did. How'd you get that job? Ah, uh, that was just a packet, yeah. really. Um, yeah, I, that was one I heard about just a couple of days ahead of time, and I just tried to crank out as much as I could. That's one where I actually didn't do the entire packet because I didn't have time. Like, they asked for, like, three bits, but I just decided to just do one and just, like, really do it well. Mm-hmm. Because I just didn't... Otherwise, I would have just done three sort of mediocre right. things. And uh, so I thought it was pretty strong, and, you know, they uh, they liked it, and they brought me out there. It was maybe about six weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the packet was just so that's like I mean that's something that didn't exist before. So what was the packet like? Just like a history bit? Ah, uh, you know I'm trying to remember what it was about. I think they might have given some names of some black historical figures that they wanted some kind of bit about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't totally remember yeah. to be honest. These all sort of blur together after a while. Right, right. Uh, what was that experience like? I mean, that was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like the first. Uh, time t- uh, TV let me in the door and let me do something mm-hmm. so I was thrilled about it and uh, you know Kevin Hart obviously is great and um, yeah it was just fun mm-hmm. how, how was that transition into a TV job like? Uh, it's it's the, the sort of requirements are a little different like in the sense that you're looking for like hard laughs on TV like mm-hmm. in The Onion you can get there's a whole variety of different kind of laughs like some are just sort of nods of recognition some are um, belly laughs somewhere it's like there's many different shades but like um, on TV you just need to hit hard with laughs like you know if you have if you tell a joke that the audience is kind of silently thinking about and that's not going to work it plays hard right and uh, so that's something that I've been sort of learning over time yeah that's interesting I never thought about that but that makes a lot of sense yeah you, you want to get the biggest laughs for that yeah I mean especially you know you're sending somebody out in front of an audience Mm-hmm. Like you don't want them to, uh, you know, send them to their to their death with mm-hmm. some stuff that uh, isn't going to work because then they're going to be very angry at you. Uh, did you like uh, working like in a historical realm? Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, for that one, what was tricky about that is, you know, the basic premise was that uh, these are black historical figures who m- many people haven't heard of, but have very interesting stories and. 
Uh, so you don't want to make them the butt of the joke, like because that's weird. You know, it's like you know, for instance, there was this uh, slave named Box Brown who, you know, he shipped himself in a box to a free state, and like that's a really cool story, and it's like it's amazing, but you don't you want to make sure the laughs aren't at his expense, right? So then it sort of changes the way you have to do it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like an interesting challenge, I thought. Yeah. Uh, and so you worked at the President Show. I did. I did. How'd you get that job? Uh, that was just another packet. Yeah. You know? Actually, a friend of mine uh, named Ziwei, she, this was, I felt a little uncomfortable about this actually, is that she reached out to me to, to review one of her packets. Which I did, you know, and sometimes writers will sort of review each other's work before turning the stuff in just to make sure that it's, you know, a little tighter. Mm-hmm. And um, I hadn't heard that the show was even looking for people. But obviously when I heard about that, I was like, well, I should probably reach out and see what's up over here. Mm-hmm. So I did that and I did end up getting the job. And, uh, you know, I felt a little guilty, but I was like, I have to go for it if I hear something and right. and something I think is cool. and. Uh, because I'd seen Anthony's work on, um, you know, the Trump versus Bernie stuff, and I just thought he was incredible. So mm-hmm. it was very exciting to me. And and you were hired uh, before that show started, right? Yeah, yeah, I was one of the original writers on the show. What was the experience like of like developing the show, or I guess starting the show? I mean, it was a lot of trial and error. Honestly, mm-hmm. it was because what we learned when we started to do this is that we don't want to just be a second Trump. You know, we don't want to just do the same thing he does, then you're not really contributing anything to the conversation. You're just parroting it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we would do we would we did a couple of test shows at the UCB, and we did some in-house test shows, and I think that was really helpful in sort of finding the voice of the show and like what kind of things we would and wouldn't do. And I found that to be invaluable. I mean, mm-hmm. we did bits that would uh, would have tanked the show if we had done them like yeah. on the air. Yeah, for sure. So. What's what's it like that like fine line between like just um, I guess because Trump you know is a terrible man he says terrible things and mm-hmm. you have to parody him so what's that fine line of not like just saying terrible things? Well, the key is I think that the joke has to be on him. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's saying terrible things, but it really it reflects on him and, right. and his sort of rotten core, uh, and that's what's funny about it. I mean, if it's just him saying terrible things, like that's how Trump himself gets laughs at, you know, when he goes to a rally. And mm-hmm. we don't want to do that because it's not helpful. Right. And it's, I don't think, very funny either. Right. So uh, after doing, uh, you mentioned the test shows, but even after doing a couple of uh, shows on television, did you find it changing on, on air like quickly? Yeah, I think what we were able to do is you sort of build a world that sort of expands over time. Like, you know, you once you add a new character, like that's woven into the tapestry of the mm-hmm. show and you can play with that even more. And so show after show, it sort of builds and, you know, you have jokes that you did in the previous episodes that you can call back to. And um, yeah, it just, you know, it just gives you more to work with, I think, mm-hmm. the more you do it. It's interesting that you say like new character. I didn't even think about it. It's like. Oh yeah, like now we have Scaramucci in this in this thing, and now we have like uh, I don't know uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. So you kind of mm-hmm. add like it kind of makes the show like not stale ever because yeah. there's so much going on. I mean, and you know, with Trump's revolving door of uh, employees, it's, right. there's always somebody new coming through. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that was one of the really fun things about it mm-hmm. uh, with Scaramucci. I mean, he was this amazing character on the show. I thought it was great, but then he got fired, and then the second show was like his farewell show. <laughs> It, I, that was crazy because Mario Cantone uh, killed it. He was so good, and then yeah. it was like all is you know because of real life news. It was like just done. Yeah, 
I mean, the way the audience responded to him was insane. Like, yeah. it, it was like as if Fonzie came out or something. It was like immediately they loved him. Yeah, that was like perfect casting for that character. He, he nailed it, yeah. Yeah, that was that was definitely a fun one. Mm-hmm. What, what was like a typical day like at the president's show? Uh, well, it, the, the intensity would sort of ratchet up throughout the week because the show was taped on Thursday. So usually Monday was pretty casual. We would come in and uh, everybody had to pitch some ideas for themes for the show. Basically, every episode would have its own theme. So you would need to um, think of what's the theme and how would it pay off in the fourth act, which is the last act of the show. Um, And then, you know, that would just basically spark conversations and uh, we would sort of have some rough idea of what that theme would be, usually by Monday or maybe early Tuesday. And then you just try to build the show and try to work that around it. Mm-hmm. We usually tried to start from like where Trump is psychologically. Like how's he feeling in that week? Like is he riding high or is he like in the foxhole getting attacked from all angles? And uh, for instance, there was one episode where he went, he went abroad uh, to do, I forget what he was doing there, but it was uh, some kind of a summit. And he came back and he hadn't had any huge screw ups. So, you know, in his mind, he's the conquering hero. Like he just dominated the world, and mm-hmm. now he's coming back to, uh, you know, bask in the in the adulation. Mm-hmm. So, like that's where we started from psychologically, and then you can sort of build it from there. So, you know, the day to day stuff is important, but you know, the show is a psychological portrait of the guy. So right. that's where you want to start, and, mm-hmm. and that all comes from Anthony. You know, that's what he that was the approach he was taking before he ever started the show, and mm-hmm. so we were just trying to build off of that. Did you did you like working in like uh, that expedited process where it's like four days and then there has to be a show? I, I loved it yeah. personally. I, I thought it was great. I think that it really hit the sweet spot where like a nightly show it seems very intense. I've never worked on a show like that, but it's like the second you walk in, you're on the clock, and it's like we have a show uh, tonight, and the clock is ticking. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think with a weekly show, you get a little more time to to marinate on it, and you know. You might be able to pull back from some potential mistakes because you start to see it a little later than you might have. Um, but yet every week you still get to do a show and there's still that sort of payoff. So mm-hmm. I, I thought it was great. It's so interesting because it's like so many things in writing is just like you have to wait, you know? Yeah. And then it's so interesting to see like, yeah, just this week I will like I'll have something on TV. Mm-hmm. No, I thought it was really exciting personally. Yeah. And I thought the show just got better and better as as the run went. So mm-hmm. I was just really proud. I, I don't think we did one bad show. I, I feel really good about it. So, uh, how would you handle breaking news like during the during the show weeks? Oh, I mean that happened every single week we were right. on the air. Um, well, basically, we would have the framework of the show built in, and there were certain slots where you could. Um, take out a topical joke and add a more topical joke if uh, something broke. Mm. So, yeah, it was usually at the top of the uh, show when they did the monologue. Like, that would be the part where, you know, you can swap in and out a little bit more freely. Whereas, like, you know, the end of the show is a little bit more elaborate and you can't do it the same way. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that was usually the part where we could play around with. Is it strange kind of... um writing the show in Donald Trump's psyche. So you're like constantly like thinking about Donald Trump and like working on like Donald Trump's mind almost. Yeah. I mean, it's a deep dive into yeah. it and uh, you know, not everybody wants to do that and, and it can be intense. Like you have to sit there and watch all the speeches mm-hmm. and reading about them a lot. 
and uh, it can get very heavy because it's just it's usually really terrible things that he's doing. Yeah. Um, but you know that's what makes the good show, and you, know, you have to do that. You have to really know uh, who this person is. Yeah. In order to do it right. It's it's crazy thinking about like a Tamanik. It like must be like mm. like a Black Mirror episode or something where he's like, uh, you know, getting huge success, but he has to play this character. Yeah, yeah, he's really tied to this guy in a way that's very strange. Yeah, that's weird. Um, but I, I will say that um, I believe that after this is all said and done, he will find other things because oh yeah, he's an enormous talent. I mean, mm-hmm. he's crazy good. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is where he is at the moment, but uh, I'm sure that he wouldn't mind. You know, being able to do other things too because it's right. intense. I mean, it's a lot to to have to ingest. Yeah, uh, there's so much political satire now. Obviously, mm. how do you stand out from the rest? Well, I, I think baked into our premise, it's already different. Mm-hmm. I think that we are able to approach things in a very different way um, because you know we're embodying the guy as opposed to commenting on him. Because there's limits to just commenting on a person. There's only so much you can say. But when right. you are that person and uh, you know you can embody him, then you can do many, many different things. So mm-hmm. I think that was a very um, big strength of the show. Is we mm-hmm. just could play in lanes that other people couldn't. How do you feel political comedy has tackled Trump in general? Uh, I think that's... I, I think that uh, some have done a good job and some have I, I don't want to like call yeah. anybody out by name or anything, but like I think the, one of the bigger problems is that there's just so much of it. Right. You know, everybody's everybody's eating from the same, you know, from the same plate. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's an enormous appetite for that right now because people are very stressed about it and it's like on everybody's mind. So, you know, when you do stuff like that, people watch. But... Um, I don't know. I, personally, what I would like to avoid is like the stuff about like his hair and his hands. And to me, that's like that's not what I have a problem with. Right. I don't care that he has small hands or whatever. That doesn't. That's meaningless. Mm-hmm. It's the things he's doing. So I prefer comedy that is getting into the substance of it a little more. Right. I'll, I'll call out the Strand Bookstore for those um, <laughs> small hand things they have yeah. there. That's I, uh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, to me, it reduces him to sort of like a funny, fun, mm-hmm. you know, caricature. There's nothing fun yeah. or funny about this guy, in my opinion. I just think he's a dangerous person who's really in the wrong position. It's interesting. Do you ever wonder? Because like, uh, people say like uh, Will Ferrell's impression of George W. Bush, like uh, you know, humanized him and like helped him get elected or whatever. Do you ever wonder about that with Trump impression? Not even not Tamanix, but just in general. Um, no, I, I don't. I, I think that, you know, whatever he was able to put together, he did that uh, because he tapped into something. Right. And I think that's the core of his strength here. And that's, I think, why in some ways he seems to be impervious to these kind of, you know, uh, things from the media. Like, because he set it up in such a way that, you know, attacking him is equal to attacking his supporters like they fused right. into one thing so you know his victimization is theirs in my opinion mm-hmm. so that uh you know whenever a comedy show does a bit about him he's like you know see media is out to get us not me us mm-hmm. together and uh you know it's pretty smart i have to say like i don't know if he if this was a premeditated thing or if he just sort of stumbled into it and then just kept going in that direction mm-hmm. but uh politically it's not a bad strategy 
it, it is wild that he's made like people who would normally not care about like New York City media like super into New York City media like mm-hmm. just those like weird um, slights he sees. Yeah, and the thing is that he loves the media though, right? Yeah. Like he is so thirsty for their approval, and mm-hmm. when he doesn't get it, he lashes out the same way a child, you know, when they don't get the toy they want, they lash out. Um, but it's because they want, he, like, he wants that. Mm-hmm. And you know, the New York Times, you know, he was a New York guy, and that to him, I believe, is the highest level of achievement is to be like lionized by, by the Times. And when he doesn't get that, then you know, it's it's unfair. It's mm-hmm. you know, they're being mean to me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you write for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I do. How'd you get that job? Well, it was really kind of weird, actually. I was just doing my thing over at the President's Show, and uh, one day my agent uh, reached out to me and said, hey, you know, uh, Robert Carlock and Tina want to meet you uh, to, you know, to talk. Would you like to do that? <laughs> Obviously, I would. And uh, so uh, that's what I did. And I just, Tina actually wasn't there during the meeting, but um, it was a couple of the other executive producers. And so, and the timing was really actually perfect because the President's Show was just wrapping up the season. Uh, we had f- just finished the uh, the uh, Christmas special, mm-hmm. so it was literally the next week I started with Kimmy Schmidt. So there was like not mm-hmm. even a break of time, and so I'd love to say I had some great plan of how it happened, but it just sort of you know, I think they might have heard of me because I was I was doing pretty good on the President's Show, and um, it's those two shows are produced by the same company, and mm. so maybe there's people talking. I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, but uh, it was a great uh, thing to have happened. Uh, We'll say that. Yeah. How do you, how do you prepare for a meeting like that? I mean, you have to read up about all the people that are going to be in it. Yeah. I think that's really, really important to know who you're going to be talking to mm-hmm. and what their philosophy is. And, and, uh, but ultimately you're just trying to not be a crazy person. I think that yeah. is oftentimes what the interview is really about. Mm-hmm. Like your material got you in the door and now they're like, well, can we work with this person? Cause I mean, you have to spend so much time with the other writers and everybody there together. Mm-hmm. You're just in a room together for long, long stretches of time. And just having, like, one person who's just, like, a real jerk would uh, really hurt the chemistry and, and the, uh, you know, the material in the room. It's just, right. like, it, would you want to spend 12 hours a day in a room with somebody you couldn't stand? You know, and so that's what they're looking for, I mm-hmm. think. What, what are your tips for, like, being in a writer's room? Besides the obvious of don't be an asshole. <laughs> right. Um, I think you have to sort of learn the dynamics of the room. Like every room is different. Like how it's pitched. Um, when to speak up and when to just lay back and, and let it happen. So, yeah, I mean, when I started at uh, Kimmy Schmidt and, and the President's Show, I was pretty quiet early on because, first of all, I was very insecure about it because these were my first TV jobs and I felt like I had no business being there almost because the other people were so great. Um, but also just to sort of understand how it all works before you just like dive in and you feel like you're going to like dominate the room or something. Like people don't tend to like that, I think. Right. You have to ease your way in. Mm-hmm. And did you have like a half hour like pilot or spec or anything? I did not. No, I'm actually working on something like that right mm-hmm. now. Um, but I was always like a late night person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why the Kimmy Schmidt thing it was it was so shocking to me. Um, but I can understand that Kimmy Schmidt is, it's such a joke heavy show though. It's really, really like that. It feels like the closest bridge between late night and narrative in a way, because mm. it sort of fuses the, you know, the best of both of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons I was so intimidated when I started there too, is that, you know, 
this was a very new world to me. Right. I just, uh, it was scary and it still is kind of, I mean, there's definitely days where I, I sweat it out a bit, mm-hmm. but you know, it's getting better though. Yeah. Uh, what's it like joining an already existing, sh- already existing show? Like, can you it's like in its, this is its fourth season. Yes. Out. So what's it like doing that? I mean that, uh, I think it's probably a little harder because I think when you start with everybody else, you, quite, you sort of, uh, it's a group sensibility that, that takes hold. Whereas when you're already when there's a show that already exists and you're coming into it, like they already have like a shorthand that you don't have. Like they all know each other really well. They've all met each other's families and they just have spent enormous amounts of time in the room together. They have in jokes, mm-hmm. and you're just like you're not a part of that yet. Uh, so that makes it a little harder. Mm-hmm. Did but, you um, had you watched the show before before you even like had the meeting or anything? I did. Yeah, I'd seen it. Did you go back and like rewatch it and like take oh, yeah. notes or anything? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I watched it uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Well, so when you're re- when you're rewatching, when you're watching something because you know you're going to work on the show, what like, what are you looking for? Uh, I mean, you're just really trying to understand the characters and like what kind of things they would do, how they mm-hmm. talk, um, the relationships between the other characters. Um, yeah, just trying to understand sort of the mechanics of how the show works. Mm-hmm. And also seeing what they've done so that you don't pitch things that have already happened on the show. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, you know, it can happen if you're not like super familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Did you find that your what you thought the show was like, did you find it changing like like as you went into the writer's room? Um, well, what it was is I, I gained a new respect for just how funny it is. Like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always really liked the show and I thought it was hilarious, but I mean, just seeing the scripts and seeing the amount of work that goes into it and just like how funny it actually is on the page, mm-hmm. it's like a new level. I mean, it's extremely funny. And, and this new season is going to be amazing, I believe. Like, we're up to uh, the sixth, uh, no, they just put out the eighth episode, I think, the script for it. And it's incredibly funny. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, very good. So um, it's just different to see it on the page than it is to watch the um, the finished show, right? Which is also very funny, of mm-hmm. course. What's a, what's a typical day like at Kimmy Schmidt? Uh, it sort of depends where we are, but in general, there's there's a rewrite room where you're rewriting a script that somebody else already wrote to sort of punch it up and add better jokes or like try to see if there's certain parts of it that aren't working and just like you know fix it up. Mm-hmm. And the other room is the story room where you're trying to come up with the storylines for the uh, upcoming episodes, like what would Kimmy be doing here and what would uh, what would Titus be doing? And, yeah, so you're basically trying to come up with an interesting story that then can be assigned to somebody else, like one of the writers, to actually mm-hmm. script it. And I'd imagine um, that's such a fun show to do punch-up for. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's just like... They're just really, really funny people over there, and it's just mm-hmm. really a lot of amazing jokes and so many funny jokes that just don't make the cut because there's only one position for it. And uh, yeah, just laughing a lot. It's yeah. really fun. Yeah. What's it like uh, working with Tina Fey? Uh, I mean, she's great. Yeah, she's just super funny, <laughs> and I mean, just like who you think she would be. Like she's mm-hmm. hilarious and and very talented. And I don't know. She just say stuff that's uh, it's so interesting because she has this whole history of. You know, working with all these amazing people, and for her, it's just her situation. But for me, I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Like, you know, that person, and like, you had you had this amazing story about this. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and she's great. So, I mean, this year it's been a little different, from what I understand, from the previous years because uh, she's working on this Mean Girls musical. Oh right, yeah. 
which uh, actually opens tonight. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, I had a friend who saw it and said it was great. Yeah, yeah, I got the chance to see it a few weeks ago yeah. also, and um, it was extremely funny. I loved yeah. it. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be very, very successful because mm-hmm. I think, you know, because it's Tina Fey, that gets you in the door, and then when people see it, it's just a really, really funny show, and I right. think that will spread, and I think it's going to be mm-hmm. great. So, uh, What surprised you about working in Half Hour? Um, hmm, what surprised me? Uh, I mean, the whole process surprised me, really. I, I didn't know any of the process going into it, like how this was actually going to be working. Um, but I guess I knew how funny it was, but now that now I'm seeing like the attention to the story, like mm-hmm. how important that is. Because like with a room full of people like this good, you will always get funny jokes. Like that's not the issue. It's like we need a good story to hang it on. Mm-hmm. Like there needs to be a reason why the audience is, it cares about this, you know. Just like, you know, 30 minutes of just like random jokes that aren't connected to anything is not going to be that interesting. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, just that's the, the biggest learning process for me is the mm-hmm. story side. It's interesting that you say that because I find the sitcoms that have um, the best stories are like way better, which sounds like very intuitive. But uh, mm-hmm. like the, I think the reason why people love The Office so much isn't because of the jokes, which are very funny, but because like the story is like very good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, great story, and you have a lot of interesting characters to draw mm-hmm. from, and you know you can service all those different people. And uh, yeah, I mean, you have to have a reason to care. That's why you keep watching, and then you get the comedy. Mm-hmm. But you know, story is very important. Right. Uh, what would you like to be doing next? Uh, I'm. You know, I'm not sure. I'm still thinking mm-hmm. about that. Uh, me and my friend were talking about maybe doing a book, or um, you know, I was going to pitch this show with a friend of mine from the President's Show. Uh, who you talked to, I think, John Reynolds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were going to be pitching something, and then this Kimmy Schmidt thing happened, and all of a sudden we had to put the brakes on that. So mm-hmm. uh, I would love to revisit that when the mm-hmm. time was right. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I feel lucky to be where I am. I mean, I never thought this would happen in the first place. So, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Like, running your own thing seems like it would be pretty tough. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I'm really ready to take something like that on yet, but I don't know. I see what Robert Carlock does and Tina Fey, like how hard it is. And, you know, it's super stressful. And uh, I'm not sure. I mean, there's a lot of like parts of that that aren't that fun. Right. You know, I feel like when you're a writer, like you get a lot of the fun stuff, you know? Yeah. That is an interesting, th- interesting thing about how like um, you take on the responsibility of talking to the network and doing all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a drag to me, but. Right. <laughs> Uh, what advice would you give to like young comedy writers out there? Uh, obviously write a lot and you're going to have to write for free for a while. I mean, I've done many, many things where I wasn't getting paid just because I thought it was interesting like what they were doing or um, I thought it might give me good exposure. I mean, it really depends. I, I know that sometimes these sometimes like companies will take advantage of people in ways that aren't so nice, but you can't just walk out there and expect like you're going to get paid a lot of money right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. I mean, you haven't really done anything yet, mm-hmm. so you just have to sort of hone your hone your craft for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't I can't overestimate or I can't underestimate the value of no I can't overemphasize yeah. <laughs> the uh, the value of meeting people. Mm. It's like a lot of things that have happened for me is because I met people and. You know, then all of a sudden you become friendly with somebody, something opens up, and they're like, hey, we want to do this. Um, I think, you know, you can be a great writer in your room and, you know, 
maybe you'll break through, but I think it's a lot easier if you, you know, sort of have a team almost. Right. Like you're helping, I mean, you help other people, they help you. Like, you know, I've helped people where I hear something opens up and I'm like, oh, I know a guy who would be great for this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's no skin off my back to just hook them up. And, um, you know, you give them somebody good, they're happy. The person who you helped is happy. It's just like, I think that um, although it's a very competitive business, I don't like the approach of like, if you get something good, it's like been taken from me. Right. Because I just think that's an unhealthy way to live and it will be, it'll make you very unhappy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I uh, I like to see my friends succeed. You know, that's a mm-hmm. good thing. And when they get into a better position and maybe they'll bring you on or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. I think those are all good things. Um, but I understand like the jealousy aspect of it can come up. And mm-hmm. I remember my first, uh, my, my friend who was like the first guy I knew who sort of broke through. Like he was just a guy who I knew and we had done some little stuff together and then all of a sudden he got a job on Colbert, you know, on the Colbert Report. And I was just like blown away. I was like, that's incredible. Like I was really happy for him. But also there, if I'm being honest, I was jealous too because mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's the job I would love to have. Um, but, you know, you have to just check yourself and be like, you know, don't let that get out of hand. Right. Like it's a natural feeling to have, but you have to just be like, look, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure to uh, not let that, you know fester in you mm-hmm. because uh it's just not healthy and you know if you're good and you're working hard then your time will come too right so you know i think that uh the jealousy aspect of it you really have to to try to manage because there's always people getting cool stuff and maybe oh i'm better than that guy and he's in this position or whatever like it's just a losing game to play i think mm-hmm. all right so we're gonna wrap up uh with you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea i have okay uh so it's a guy who only knows Star Wars from the novelization of the movies. Okay. So he's like, I don't even want to see the movie. It ruined my mental image of Chewbacca mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. Did I say Star Trek? Yeah. I mean, let's say Star Wars. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So he only knows Star Wars from the novelizations. Yeah. Okay. I guess my question would be like, I understand the concept, but like, what is actually happening in the scene? I, I guess it would be, um, I guess people talking about going to see a movie. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, I don't want to see Star Wars because I, I wouldn't want to ruin the book for me. Okay. Um, well, the idea is interesting, but I think what you would need is you need a more compelling scene of what's actually right. happening. Okay. Like just people standing in line talking about a movie. I don't know. To me, that seems like it, it could use uh, something a little more dynamic of like why it's happening. Yeah. Like maybe they're sense. at a maybe they're at a conference, or maybe they're maybe they're like meeting Mark Hamill or something. Okay. Maybe they're meeting the cast, and maybe they don't want to see the cast because that would ruin their image of the movie or something. Mm-hmm. I. Yeah, I mean, I think when you have a good core idea, you have to figure out, like, what's the best structure to, like, pay off the humor in the biggest way. Yeah. Like, you, I think you can't discount the action of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Because think of it yourself. If you were watching two people online talking about a Star Wars thing, you'd probably be like, oh, maybe that's kind of funny. But, like, nothing's really happening on the screen, though. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's something I've been learning over at Kimmy and, and, and the President Show is mm-hmm. that, like, you have to think, like, what's on the screen? Mm-hmm. And is it compelling, like, what's actually happening? And that's the interesting thing about Sketch, too, is because uh, I guess, like, I, I've done UCB stuff, so I think in, like, game. So I just, like, you know, in my head, I just boil it down to, like, just the game. Mm-hmm. But then that's a very good point, is that uh, the actual what's happening, like, the scene is actually, like, as important, if not more, to, like, sure. the thing. And, I mean, you know, it's good to start with a game that's strong. Like, yeah. that's a great place to be. But then from there, you have to now build, like, what's going to be going down, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. Uh, anything you want to plug? Uh, 
Well, just watch uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, the first six episodes are going to come out on May 30th. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, they're splitting it into two sections this year. So the first six will come out then, and then the, um, the final seven will come out later in the year at some point. Okay, cool. So, yeah, this will be the first season I'm on, and I'm very thrilled, and I think it's going to be very, very funny. So Awesome. All right, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow On Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week. And a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.